Semronani Dumelang, good evening and welcome to episode 133 of the Private Property Podcast. I'm your host, Uzaman Dungwa Kumalo. It's a Thursday edition of the Private Property Podcast and welcome to our viewers on Facebook, on YouTube, on Instagram, as well as on Twitter. Uh, we are, of course, bringing you the latest in all things relating to property this evening. And as always, we certainly love hearing from you and engaging with you across our social media platforms. I've got an exciting announcement that I'm going to share. I think I'm going to wait and probably share, if not tomorrow, on Monday. Uh, I'm going to see with, if the team is ready for me to, to share the great news with you uh, tomorrow or on Monday. I'm sure a lot of you who are probably new to watching us are probably going to love this announcement. And the regular ring leaders across our various social media platforms are also going to love it. We're making listening to the podcast, engaging with the podcast, that much easier. And not only do we, of course, have the Private Property Podcast, but we've also got the First Time Home Buyers Show that comes to you every Wednesday evening at 7.45, as well as the Farming Podcast that's on Tuesday and Thursdays at 1 p.m. And of course, over the weekend, we don't forget about you. We also have the Developers Show uh, with Chad that is at 1 p.m. So we really do take care of you throughout your journey, throughout the week, when it comes to all things property. Well, this evening, Evening is certainly, uh, you know, no exception. And I think this evening we're actually going to be talking about something that um, is sometimes very difficult to talk about, but we often want the answers because it's going to help us on our journey in either accessing that home loan or even helping a loved one access that home loan. And we're looking at credit rehabilitation and buying a home. Is there any hope? So a lot of people's, you know, credit's probably been affected during this lockdown. Perhaps even prior to the lockdown, your credit was not looking uh, so great. And you probably thought accessing your home is something that is close to impossible. Well, we're going to be exploring the different ways that it is possible and the active steps you probably should start taking in order for you to realize that dream of owning a home. And who else to help us better understand what we can do to not only get our credit right, but ready ourselves for that home loan application is of course somebody from Uber Home Loans. I know this week we are bringing you Uber Home Loans. Yvonne, we spoke to her earlier in the week. She was a fantastic episode. So certainly do go back if you're you know an entrepreneur or self-employed or perhaps you're a freelancer if you want to find out how to access that home loan then do go back to listening to the episode that we had before well this evening i have her colleague natasha champion who's a regional sales manager at uber home loans natasha good evening and thank you so much for joining us thanks for having me zameth uh, evening to everyone that's joined you know so natasha i think one of the big things when it comes to you know credit credit rehabilitation is sometimes, unfortunately, you know, people at homes, they credit, sometimes we don't do well with our credit, you know, uh, we either don't pay the people we owe on time, and then we're getting letters of demand and all sorts of things. I think before we even look at how, if A, there's hope, and what does that hope kind of look like, perhaps let's first take a step back and look at the different ways that our credit can sort of be negative, because I feel as though there are almost various, there are different stages to how people's credit is sometimes bad. Perhaps take us through almost a, you know, a, a bird's eye view of the various stages where your credit is uh, probably bad and could potentially make it difficult for you to access that home loan. So I'm gonna start off just with a quite a staggering statistic. You know, uh, I'm a numbers person, so numbers excite me. About 50% of South Africans are credit impaired. So that's the reality of the situation out there. 
Having said that, there are various stages of credit impairments and there are various factors that the banks take into account when assessing a risk profile. So the credit report is, is really the only mechanism that the bank has to make reference to in terms of the client's risk profile. We know when things go very wrong, we talk about judgments. Um, those happen at quite a high legal level. You, an attorney is required to get those removed. Um, on a lesser, on a lesser uh, scale of severity, severity we, we look at defaults you know when someone has kind of started the legal process but I think surprisingly enough the majority of, of credit impairment is linked to what we call a payment profile now it might interest you know everyone that's joined us to know that the banks have access to two years I know Yvonne touched on it in terms of every single account in your name and how you have paid those accounts so uh, the bureau that we use is quite colorful you look at the reports and either those little blocks are green, uh, yellow, or, or red. Or red um, yeah. If they turn to black, we're really in trouble because that means it's been you know, in arrears in excess of 150 days. So the banks have got access to that. A payment profile is negatively affected, um, quite simply, when you've missed payments. One missed payment, obviously less of an effect. Once it starts becoming two, three months in a row and beyond, um, I think it's really going to have a negative impact on your score, firstly, and obviously, by extension, your, your risk profile. Mm -hmm. And perhaps let's look at then how that almost starts affecting your, your, your prospects of having that home loan. Because perhaps people at home, you might, let's say, have five different, um, you know, accounts that you're paying, maybe one is your, you know, your car, uh, another one might be, you know, something else, but let's say you've got five and you're paying for relatively diligently, and it's probably one that's affected, because I think sometimes there's this misconception that, look, if I have five and I'm paying six diligently and I'm always paying, even if there's sometimes, you know, inconsistency with just that one payment, perhaps I miss a month there and then I double pay or I'm always paying late, then it's not so bad. Perhaps almost demystify that because I know that there is a bit of that misconception because your average consumer has more than one debt uh, that they're servicing. And oftentimes they are the ones that you always service well and on time. And then there might be those that perhaps come out on the 15th and maybe you get paid on the 25th. By then all your money has pretty much run out. So that one is always just late or inconsistent. How does that also essentially work? Because I know people hold on to that misconception that listen, at least to look at the other four and see that I pay them every month and diligently, I never miss that payment when it's on the first, but it's just this one little one that sometimes, uh, you know, gives me an issue. So, so if I'm reading into your question, are all accounts created equal? I think you're probably going to be slightly worse off if, if it's a bank product that, that you aren't servicing consistently. Anything from a home loan to a credit card, even to a personal loan, that's going to affect not only your credit score, but your internal score at that specific bank. So that's a double whammy. Having said that, um, you need to service every single account, minimum uh, repayment on time. So if that debit order doesn't suit you, go ahead and change that debit order date. Because as soon as it happens more than once, um, twice, three times and beyond, it certainly is going to have a negative effect. And, you know, I always equate it to the credit manager that's sitting behind that desk signing off that loan. Uh, you know, regardless of the fact that the banks have to comply with, with, with the NCA, you know, 
you're going to the bank asking for a million rand loan, but you're not paying your true worst account, 200 rand a month. So that's kind of the rationale that we need to attach to, to the frame of reference that is the client's credit profile and how it relates to their risk profile. And I think it's probably, you know, I actually like the, the, the analogy that you've almost drawn on, right? I mean, if you're going to be applying for that 1 million rand loan, uh, perhaps the payment is like 7,000 rands and you're struggling to pay 300 rand a month, how are you going to then suddenly pay 7,000 rands consistently for, you know, 240 months? And, and we probably, as a consumer on the other end, don't quite look at it like that because you're thinking, look, it's a home loan. This is a different ball game altogether. I'm paying my rent. So perhaps I'll always make that, you know, bond payment on time. Uh, except, you know, I always say to people, there's, there's home loan payment just hits differently. And as much as you're sort of used to paying rent, for example, the moment you have that home loan and that debit order goes up the first time, there's almost a mental shift that happens uh, for so many people. But I think, Natasha, then we also know that, you know, as you're saying that you, you when we started talking, you're saying how 50% of South Africans are essentially, uh, you know, credit impaired. That paints a picture of how so many people are essentially in a dire um, you know, financial state or the state of their finances isn't that great. And of course, a lot of them do have ambitions of accessing home loan facilities. How do we then, um, if you're a consumer and you know that you're credit impaired in one way or, or another, start, what should we start doing right now to slowly get ourselves ready to be able to access home loans? Because I, I know so many people have those aspirations, never mind going into you know, investment properties, but certainly owning the home that you're living in. So, so first let me say, you know, it's, it's not necessarily an, an indication of, of, of poor payers or, or people that, yeah. you know, that are high risk in, in terms of their profile. You know, it's also down to, to lack of buyer education. I mean, that's, what, that's why I love what you guys are doing here, Zama, and, and sharing this knowledge with people. You know, I never knew what my credit report was, mm. you know, until the first time I, I got it. It's not something, even though there is access to a free credit check annually, which I encourage, you know, everyone that's joined to make use of. It's not something that really occurs to us until we need it. So, I mean, please don't be so hard on yourselves. Uh, now that you do understand the importance of a credit report, do pull a, pre, a, a free credit report and understand it, seek guidance accordingly. I think if we've gotten um, ourselves in a position where, where we realize that our credit score has been negatively affected, we need to understand why. And sometimes you need support to talk you through that report and explain exactly you know, where things might have, have, have come unrailed. Mm. So firstly, we chatted about the payment profile. If you have had um, a couple of months in succession where you've missed your payments, three months paying those same accounts diligently is going to take your score straight up. Okay, so in as short a time as three months, just making sure you're paying the full minimum payment, but like to the cent. If you're paying slightly more, that's going to boost your score even further up, but make sure you're paying it on time. Change those debit orders if the dates aren't working for you. That is going to to definitely assist you know there's a there's also a common misconception that the less debt you have the better your score is certainly um people that have just qualified maybe their first job they've never had an account which ironically by many is considered to be financially responsible not mm -hmm. to have debt unfortunately as we um discussed the frame of reference that the banks use being the credit score if there is no score because there aren't any accounts 
accounts, we're in the same boat because mm. there is no frame of reference with regards to financial, historic financial responsibility. So, so definitely start repaying those accounts. And then certainly if you don't have any accounts, you know, I'm not encouraging anyone to incur debt, but if we're preparing for a home loan application to make your purchase ready, a small store account, maybe a cell phone account or, or even a bank credit card, open up at least two accounts, pay them um, very diligently for at least, at least three months, the longer the better, and, and your score will, will be fantastic. And, and I actually love that tip because I think sometimes we, we think, uh, you know, take as much debt as sort of possible and, and then you end up sometimes, you know, falling into that, into that debt trap, especially as young professionals where you have, you know, various responsibilities that are essentially waiting for you. You start working, even the banks are calling you up, uh, you know, offering you a, uh, you know, all kinds of great facilities uh, as a young professional. And because you weren't, uh, you know, nobody sat you down and you had a good conversation around how you should be managing even the access to credit that you now essentially have, you end up having five store accounts instead of just one that you're using for purposes of slowly building that credit record. Uh, you end up having, you know, your credit card, perhaps you even have an overdraft facility. And more often than not, you might just find in that first six to eight months, you've wrecked up so much debt. I mean, I've seen young professionals who in that in those first sort of six to eight months of working as young professionals have amassed more debt than what their annual you know, package is, which can be already just so overwhelming that then trying to kind of get out of that debt trap becomes an almost impossibility. And that's certainly some of the things that um, you know, I want us to, to look at after the break, Natasha, around how do we then you know, work through getting our uh, score up? So we're in the event where we've now kind of damaged our credit score and it's fairly low, as you're saying that the credit bureau that you use, you know, can be very colorful. And let's say you're not seeing many greens, but if anything, it's in the red or in the black. What are some of the active steps that we should slowly start taking in order for us to get ready for getting that home loan? To be honest at home, I want to hear from you. I mean, I think a lot of us probably, you know, end up getting into a debt trap early on into our careers. And sometimes it could, you know, take many years to get out of uh, debt and close off those, whether it's the store account or the credit card. What have been some of those financial decisions uh, at home that you made when you were still very young that did actually prevent you from, you know, accessing a home loan when you wanted to, that you had to slowly start working towards in order for you to finally be able to access that home loan. Do share with us some of the active steps that you, you went through to slowly start paying off the debt uh, in order for you to get that first home loan. I'm sure so many of us probably went through that stage, especially as young professionals, where you didn't have a conversation, you know, whether it's with your parents or somebody who's elderly, who understands finances a bit more and really have good sort of financial education around how to best manage um, our funds. We're going to go for a quick break and we're going to be, to, we're going to be uh, rather taking your questions and comments just after this.
Welcome back to episode 133 of the Private Property Podcast. I'm your host, Uzamantu Wakumalo. This evening, we're looking at a very touchy subject, but one of those sensitive topics that we all want to get really good insight on, uh, especially if we have home ownership ambitions. And of course, we're looking at credit rehabilitation and buying a home. Is there any hope? If you've ever found yourself in a very bad financial place where your credit score is you know, deeply impaired and you're probably feeling like you're not going to be able to access that home loan facility, then this is certainly the episode for you. Or perhaps you might know a family relative that is struggling uh, you know, with rehabilitating their finances and getting on the right financial path in order for them to be able to access that home loan facility, then we're certainly going to be exploring what we should be doing. I see a comment there from Soso Mafo on our Facebook platform uh, saying thank you so much because this is such an insightful conversation and it really is there to help us best navigate getting out of you know, the, 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 the bad debt or the debt trap and get us into a, a better financial place. I know how overwhelming sometimes you know, being in debt and feeling as though not making any movement uh, can feel, especially if you have ambitions of accessing that home loan. So whether you're watching us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or of course, uh, our YouTube channel, welcome to the Private Property Podcast. And we want to be hearing from you. If you ever, certainly as a young professional, perhaps this even happened once you were slightly older, got into some bad debt that really made it difficult for you to access a home loan facility. What were some of the active steps that you took to not only pay off the debt, but certainly get on the path of buying that first home? Do share with us down here below. We want to hear from you. And of course, I am speaking to Natasha Champion, who's a regional sales manager at Uber Home Loans. They are the bond originators that you want to be working with on your path to you know, owning a home. I think we, you know, we spoke earlier to uh, one of her colleagues, Yvonne, when we're looking at how we can access home loan facilities if you are self-employed and you really want to be working with mortgage originators. We talk about this a lot here on the Private Property Podcast. And I think it's one of those things we're continuously going to hop on quite a lot because there's a lot of value that you get with working with bond originators. Now, Natasha, perhaps then let's look at now you've gotten to a stage where you know your credit has been you know, badly impaired, your credit score is terrible. What are some of the tips would you like to share with viewers at home in terms of how to slowly start uh, rehabilitating their finances so we're in a better position, perhaps in a year's time, perhaps in 18 months time to be able to start applying for a home loan? Yeah, Zama, so we chatted about it, you know, before we went live. It's not to say that because your credit score is currently impaired that you will never become a property owner. So do take heart and know that there are steps that can be taken to, to get you property purchase ready. You know, I just want to, to chat about the, the fine balance between having no accounts and being over indebted. So the banks aren't going to be... Um, aren't going to be forthcoming when your debt to income ratio exceeds 50%. So that's the percentage that you need to bear in mind. So no more than 50% of your net earnings are going towards servicing debt. So, so just uh, as a statistic to, to bear in mind, as a fact to take into account, make sure, number one, that that's not the case. If so, start, re start paying those, those things off. You know, it's very tempting when you get things like bonuses or tax refunds. To splurge, you know, we work hard, we're human beings. That's the type of income that we can maybe put towards reducing debt. 
uh, and certainly you know don't go and close all your accounts because we need to keep an active reference with regards to our financial responsibility and our payment profiles but mm. but we can certainly reduce that and and make sure we we paying the reduced monthly repayment in line with that debt reduction if it has gone to default to judgment stage that's a process that that one might need to enlist the assistance of an attorney it's not to say that you will never bounce back from that we also need to be mindful of things like insolvency and um people that have have a applied for for credit um assistance so that have gone under debt review so once you go under debt you, you're definitely off the um, off the property ladder or the, the bond application ladder and certainly credit in general for at least five years. So I would encourage you know everyone that's joined us to to make that your last resort. Rather take six months and and kind of tap away at at that problem slowly, conscientiously, and diligently um, instead of, of of going under debt review, which is definitely going to to affect you long term. Mm. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think, you know, Natasha, one of the big things, and I'm probably coughing because it's one of those very thorny issues. Oftentimes, uh, I've seen a lot of questions, even here on, on our you know, platform and private property, with people wanting to understand debt review better. So I think, firstly, for the benefit of those who probably don't know about it, you know, a quick explain of what debt review is, and perhaps why you're, you know, urging people to perhaps look at that as the last resort. Because we've sometimes heard people say, you know, somebody advised them to go under debt review and only after the fact that they realize the severity of de the debt review process and their inability to access, you know, credit during that period, especially people who are now you know, sort of looking for a home. Um, some people you'll find that they're married and community of property, the one partner goes under debt review and then it essentially affects, you know, both of them ultimately. So perhaps explain to us what debt review is and why it's so important to almost look at that as the, we'll say the thing you consider at the very last option when you've sort of exhausted every other avenue as much as possible. You know, so debt review is an outcome that, that obviously uh, do use as a last resort, but, but certainly if people are in a position where they have no other choice, the, um, the debt review company will negotiate with, with your creditors um, for a reduced monthly repayment and potentially for a, a total reduced outstanding debt. Um, so that needs to get registered also in court. It's a legal process. During the time that you're under debt review, you will not be able to access any additional credit, which makes sense. But that, uh, that fact is also going to be um, a mark on your name for, for, for some time to come. You know, it's not uh, an account that we can come back and three months later, you know, rectify and increase our credit score. Debt review is, um, is quite a, I'm trying to think of the right word, not a, not a drastic step to take, but certainly um, something that's quite official, that, that tells potential future lenders that in fact, you have gotten into so much financial trouble that you've had to, you know, go this route. And, and it's going to be, it's going to be a red flag for the banks, you know, even kind of five, six, seven years down the line, the banks are going to say, mm, is this the type of risk we, we want to undertake and, and find ourselves as a lender potentially, you know, on, on the same debt review um, ruling. So, so unless, unless there's absolutely no other way out, I would, encourage everyone that's joined us to to try any other possible means to to get your credit score um, under control and, and do partner with with someone that 
that can explain to you, that can advise you. You know, our service is 100% free of charge and we are aligned as Uber Home Loans. We empower people to own their own homes. So, mm. so big dream of ours and, and we're on your team. Mm-hmm. We're of course taking your questions and comments at home, whether you're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube, do send them through. We're talking about credit rehabilitation and whether there's hope for you to access that home loan. Of course, earlier on, I asked you, uh, you know, what your journey has been if you had ever been in a lot of bad debt um, and slowly trying to get yourself out of it so you can best ready yourself for walking that home loan journey, which of course is a very long journey. I often joke about how for so many of us, it's probably going to be the longest relationships that we're going to be in. And we've got a comment here from our Instagram page. It's coming from underscore RxDXY, who says another tip I use is to double pay accounts, the minimum amount on the debit date and smaller amount in the middle of the month that boosts the credit score. Um, We've got a a comment here from Christy Carpenter who says, I found myself in a hole of credit card debt when I was younger, having an accountability partner helped. And that's quite a helpful one. I think sometimes if perhaps you and your friend, you're not thinking, look, we want to get on the right path and want to be able to hold each other accountable. That's the one person you're able to share, you know, some of your money goals with. I often sometimes on Twitter talk about having a money date with yourself. Um, which is something so important because then you're able to kind of sit down and have a very serious money conversation with yourself and look at the state of your money affairs. I think we we often get so overwhelmed when it just comes to money that something as simple as going through your bank statements, just understanding what do you do with your money becomes such a big, tedious task. So even setting that time aside for yourself, it can be 20 or 30 minutes a week where you just have a money date with yourself. And then of course, have that accountability partner that you can say, listen, I've now paid off the car or I keep adding a bit extra in order for me to be uh, pay off the car certainly does go a long way. Uh, also on Facebook, uh, this one, a comment from uh, Jenna Kate uh, saying, loving this. Thank you so much. It's only a pleasure, uh, Jenna. And uh, staying with Facebook, Hides Lisiteri says, how long does it take for the credit score to be up after experiencing a bad credit? And how long must I wait to apply? So I think, um, thanks for that question. I think depending on the extent of of the credit score issues, you know, we've covered defaults, we've covered judgments, we've covered payment profile. So so once again, we need to understand, we need to analyze that credit report, we need to understand where it's gone wrong. But if it has been a payment profile issue, um, you know, as short a period as three months could, could certainly affect positively the score. I mean, I actually dealt with a client just this week who who had a delinquent account is what the banks like to call it it had gone into arrears the account was paid off and settled in august and what's today by today the credit score had already gone up 13 points which actually took the client to above the score cutoff so for different credit bureaus you know it's interesting that they've got slightly different um, ways of working and different banks make use of different credit bureaus so we make use of Experian and Experian's score goes up to, to kind of the high 700s and, um, and anything below 600 is considered too high a risk for the bank. So in this specific case, the score went up sufficiently to, to make them eligible to, to be assessed by the bank. And, and that took a period you know, from August to October. So it, it, it can happen as quickly as that. 
Mm. And we actually, I think, you know, uh, Natasha, we're seeing a lot of our viewers at home uh, wanting insights into how long it takes. So we've got another question here from one of our top fans on Facebook, Semi Mahatsa saying, Zama, I took back my finance car back to the dealership. And at the end of the day, they take it, but it has a shortfall of around 30,000 Rand. How long must I wait to buy a property? Yeah, so, so if they've taken judgments against you or default for, for that amount, you know, that's something that, that could potentially take slightly longer if it's gone the legal route. So we need to understand exactly, you know, what action was taken by, by, that, by that vehicle company. Has it gone legal? You know, and if a situation like that occurs, and, and let me be very clear, sometimes it is through no genuine fault of the consumer that something has happened to their credit score. It could mm. very well be a standing and you know a medical a medical issue that that wasn't covered by the medical aid and it was a miscommunication so things like that we can explain when it comes to to something large 30000 rand is, is certainly um, a significant amount of money so we would need to um, please encourage you to to chat with your creditors to communicate with your creditors i think you'll find um, that it's a very expensive process for them to take it legal you know, once we've taken it legal, it becomes a harder, lengthier problem to solve. So I encourage people to engage with their creditors, make a, make a plan, make a repayment plan and, and try and stick to that before such time as the matter goes legal. You know, uh, the ostrich approach is definitely not the way to go because um, these things, unfortunately, you're not going to get away from. They will catch up to you. So certainly engage with your creditors as early on as you know you could be, be facing a potential issue. Mm -mm -mm. Uh, we've got another question here from Bongani uh, Mabunda who asks, can a credit inquiry affect one's credit score? Okay, so that's a question we get a lot. So the average South African buys a home every, every seven years, um, a car every five years, and, and a credit card perhaps every three years. So I mean, that amounts to very few credit checks um, per year uh, on average. I think if we're getting to a point where we're taking kind of three or four micro loans a month, uh, we're applying for various um, accounts, store accounts, um, you know, that, that third or fourth credit score will, will push you over the edge because there definitely is reference to the amount of inquiry, uh, inquiries on a credit score. But if we are doing it for, um, you know, for self-education purposes and finding out where we are, um, that credit score, that one credit report you're going to pull on yourself a year, you know, it's not going to have a negative effect. If you're buying a home, you know, once every 10 years and we're doing, because we're a home loan comparison service, you've got four institutions doing a credit um, check on you, uh, is definitely outweighed by the benefits of shopping around for that home loan in the, in the long run. So unless you're a borderline case where your inquiries are already excessive, um, the short answer to that is no, it shouldn't have a negative impact. Mm. Uh, we've got another question here from Facebook. This one's coming from Umkateko Ahape who asks, if one is blacklisted or in debt review, then they pay up their debts. How long does it take for them to be clear enough to get a home loan? Uh, are there things they must do once they've paid everything? Yeah, so, so, so be, always be very cognizant of who you partner with in terms of debt review. Because it's a legal process, you need to make sure that that company is, is not a fly-by-night because it is a lengthy process. Are they gonna be around once all your accounts are paid off? 
So the banks are going to require proof of paid up status and closure, which is, which is important to note. You can't just pay it up and leave it open. And closure of the accounts in question. And you need to apply to get yourself removed off debt review. Once you've been removed off debt review, I would give yourself at least six months to rebuild your credit score and um, get it back to an acceptable level before uh, applying for any additional credit. So six months after you've officially come off debt review is when you can dip your toe in the water again and see exactly where you are. Mm -hmm. uh, this is another similar question. It keeps coming up. I think it's one of those things that we're going to keep uh, re-emphasizing, Natasha. So it's quite similar to one of the questions that we've um, asked this time around coming from our Instagram page. It's Opumla Ninuba who asks, how long after you've paid uh, off all your debts with, suppose, your bonus, can you buy a house when your score was negatively affected? Okay, so again, you know, it's very hard to answer, um, to give you a blanket answer. It depends on exactly what the circumstances of the, yeah. of the impaired score were. That was payment profile. Um, I think once you've paid off those accounts, uh, don't close all of them. You know, keep one open where you can double pay and start building up your credit score from that point. But I would say, you know, as little as three months, depending on the extent of the impairment, we could see sufficient um, progress in terms of your score going up to a point where you would be purchase ready. Mm -mm. You know, I, I, I can certainly see, uh, Natasha, that I think one of the big things that uh, a lot of us, and you even said it earlier, is we probably need quite a lot of uh, sort of consumer education, that some of these financial mistakes that we make are by no doing, you know, by no fault of our own. It really is because we probably didn't have access to the right information at the time, um, or perhaps the people who are giving us the information just wanted a quick sale. Uh, so we're kind of also maybe potentially leading us astray just slightly. And so I'm really glad that we're getting quite a lot of questions around this one, because as I said, when we started this conversation, that it can be quite a difficult conversation to have. I think oftentimes when we talk about debt, you know, it can be such a heavy thing, um, especially once you have quite a lot of debt. Uh, I think sometimes you can feel quite a lot of shame around it because you think, look, I'm an adult. I should be able to handle my money matters. I certainly want to say to viewers at home that they, they shouldn't be shame with it. Um, there are ways to navigate it, as Natasha has said, that you also shouldn't uh, sort of blame yourself. I think one of the big things is once you kind of come to terms with this is where my finances are, what are some of the active steps can I slowly start taking um, to get myself into a better space, you know, financially? So really judging yourself, don't do it. I think a lot of us do find ourselves, unfortunately, in very bad financial places where you've got quite a lot of debt for whatever reason. I mean, with sometimes it may have been, you know, black tax. It may have been you had so many responsibilities quite young and you just took on a lot. Uh, so certainly do not feel as though you're not adulting well. Um, because a lot of us, I think, have probably went through that particular stage. And I think now more than ever, it's about how do we then get to the next level? How do we deal with what we have? And how do we better understand and make well-informed decisions? So by the time we're accessing that home loan, uh, we know better uh, because we would have been, of course, also going to privateproperty.co.za under the advice section. We are also looking at the different ways we should try to be managing um, our own finances better in order to gear up for the home ownership journey. We've got a question here, and, I, and I'm going to just make a, an assumption based off the question that this is somebody who's self-employed. Um, and it says, if I pay myself a salary that's fixed for at least three months, is it going to help me get a credit um, 
get credit from stores so that I can be able to build my credit. So this is somebody, let's say you don't have any credit at the, at the time, perhaps you might be you know, a freelancer, whatever the case is, but you now want to obviously start getting credit. And in order to access credit that first time, the stores are going to work some kind of proof that you can even pay that, whether it's a Truett's account or Mr. Price account, they'll obviously need some form of way of knowing that you're working. So is it then advisable that they kind of sort of pay themselves, let's say that three months and slowly start building up that credit for themselves? Yeah, so for a self-employed applicant, um, in order to apply for any sort of credits, I mean, I can only really speak with conviction on a home loan application, but I would assume when it comes to store cards, you know, the, the, the basics will remain the same. Um, are the earnings declared reflecting in the bank statements? Are they doing so consistently? And certainly in preparation for, for the end goal, which I'm assuming is home ownership, as a self-employed individual, uh, you know, I would encourage them to go back to Yvonne's episode where, where she does discuss it in more detail. But yes, you certainly have to pay yourself um, a salary in order to, 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 to apply for any sort of credit. And um, if you're doing so with a store card to build up your credit score for an eventual ho home loan ownership, you know, make sure that your financials are in place, that the salary you're paying yourself, you know, is taxable. You've got a tax return. When it comes to self-employed, I can't speak to, to what the, the store card requirements are, but certainly for a home loan, they want to see two years worth of trading history. So, mm -hmm. so make sure all your is associated with the salary you're drawing and the sanctity of the company as a whole, if you're using that as the purchase vehicle, are in order. So for a self-employed applicant, for a home loan, certainly, uh, the preparation is slightly longer. But for a store card, you know, I'd say for six months, if you're paying yourself that salary, it's going into your bank account. It's unlikely that Edgar's is going to ask you for, for two years uh, financials, but have that in the back of your mind when it comes to, to applying for a home loan. Mm. Uh, I'm going to make this the last question of our uh, conversation, uh, Natasha, and this is coming from one of our YouTube videos, uh, who asks, can paying rent at a contracted apartment for 12 months to live affect your credit score positively? I love this question. I love it, love it, love it, because I think it's one of those things sometimes don't know about. Uh, so please go ahead. Before I get excited, please do go ahead um, answering that one. So the rental question specifically as it relates to home, home loans comes up quite often. You know, if I've been paying um, the rent, so, so usually your, your landlord isn't a registered credit provider. So even if you've gone through an agency, they're not a registered credit provider. So um, they, they will be very quick to, to go legal and, and default you should you not pay, but they aren't really going to apply on the credit bureau as a registered credit provider who is required to report on, on repayment behavior. So and unfortunately, the answer there is no, because with the credit report itself being the frame of reference that's being used, uh, the, rental, um, the rental is not going to reflect uh, in, a, in, a, in a monthly, in a way that a registered credit provider would. So they're not going to be able to see that payment behavior. But, mm -hmm. but do keep rent on time. That's fantastic. But if that's mm -hmm. the only account you've got, I say account in inverted commas, do open something with a registered credit provider that is going to pull through to that bureau report. Natasha, mm -hmm. we are going to leave it there. I think before we actually leave it there, one of the, the things that I'll certainly say with rental, uh, we've particularly seen this with um, you know, landlords that use TPN and even landlords that use our agencies that use TPN when they, when they do actually log um, you know, a tenant's payment 
um, you know, history, that it does have a positive impact, but certainly as Natasha was saying that that shouldn't be your only account as it were, because then in, in that instance, you're not going to be appearing on all the major um, you know, credit bureaus, which is of course something that you want. Um, and so be mindful of that. And that probably is for you, uh, you know, asking your landlord, if you're dealing directly with the landlord or certainly asking the agency, if they do, you know, uh, you know, put your rental payment pattern on a TPN, which does better your odds, just slightly, it's a very tiny difference, but sometimes that small little difference goes such a long way uh, once you're now ready to, of course, start that home ownership uh, journey and move, of course, from being a tenant. Well, Natasha, we are going to leave it there. I did say I'll probably, you know, steal a little bit extra of your time uh, for our conversation. I think this is one of those conversations that we're going to come back to as many of us slowly start making sense of our finances, slowly start getting to know more and more about some of the financial decisions that we probably may have made when we were younger that, uh, you know, have negatively affected the state of our overall finances and the different ways you essentially navigate them in order to prepare ourselves for home ownership. Natasha, thank you so much for joining us and good evening. And that is Natasha Champion, who is the regional sales manager at Uber Home Loans. I do hope, uh, you know, at home that this has been an insightful conversation that also gets you ready sort of mentally, because I think sometimes you might know what you need to do sort of physically, but we're, we're realizing that finance is also this mental thing. Um, that you come to terms and realize that, as Natasha said, and certainly as we've said in this conversation, that there's no shame in being in bad debt. There's no shame in you know the state of your finances not being where you want it to be. You're not adulting incorrectly. I think the state of sort of inequality and gender pay gap and all kinds of pay gaps are a reality. Now more than ever, it's about what are some of the active steps you want to slowly start making in order to financially prepare yourself for some of the, you know, the next steps, certainly in home ownership. Well, that's it from me, Zamantungwa Kumalo, and the rest of the private property team. This earring has been wanting to fall this whole episode. So there it's now uh, finally falling. Uh, that's it from us. It's probably our cue to wrap up and go. That's it from us uh, on the Thursday edition of the Private Property Podcast. We are, of course, back again tomorrow with the Friday edition of the Private Property Podcast. I know I keep promising a great uh, you, you know, a great uh, what's this announcement? I haven't forgotten. I'm going to find out from the team if I should share it tomorrow or on Monday. Well, until then, I do hope, as usual, you're staying home and staying safe. I'll be back with you tomorrow evening.
I'm Rick Nittling. I'm an Olympic gold medalist and shareholder and marketing director of Aldevia Estate, which recently acquired Pearl Valley Estate. I've been living in the beautiful Paul Frontrick Valley for the last five years. We are situated right in the heart of the Cape Winelands. Security is our number one priority and it's something we work on every day. And this has earned us the reputation of being the safest estate in Africa. The lifestyle that this area has to offer truly is country living at its best. We're just five minutes away from the historic town of Paul. Paul really is an incredible area to explore, with little gems like the Spice Route and Fairview Farms. But the biggest attraction is the excellent schools. Franchuk, on the other hand, is a major international tourist destination and also known as the culinary capital of South Africa, with a diverse offering for every palate and occasion. Our recent acquisition of Pearl Valley is a major game changer for us. Our residents can now enjoy a wide range of amenities unmatched anywhere else in the world. There's the world-famous Jack Nicklaus Signature Golf Course, which is consistently ranked among the top golf courses in South Africa. And there are some beautiful properties on the course. Boulder V really is the ideal family environment. We also cater to equestrian lovers with facilities on offer for every discipline, from the two Hurlingham Standard Polar Fields to our state-of-the-art equestrian centers and miles of trails. Our horses live in paradise too. Boulder V has its own wine farm and cellars producing award-winning wines which every resident can be proud of. I've been blessed to travel the world but this is the place I come home to. I'm sure you can see why we call it the Valley of Life. And this is my neighborhood.